what I, what I love about that story and the overall uh, overarching kind of theme in it all, mm-hmm. that three year cycle for me. And again, I I said this podcast isn't a faith based thing, but it's who I am. And right. so my story is um, that three year cycle is a is a gospel kind of story mm-hmm. of there's fall, there's reconciliation and redemption uh, throughout. So it's this constant reminder to me mm-hmm. that God's there. God's good. God has a plan and a story. You're listening to the Find the Story podcast, where we seek to build a diverse community passionate about making the world a better place to live, work, and to play by learning to listen. We invite our guests to be vulnerable as we listen in on their story and hopefully realize we have more in common than we might have originally thought. In this inaugural episode, it's part one of my story. I invited my friend Stephanie Little to come listen and be curious. First of all, as we get started, I really want you to talk about, of course, yourself. But before that, I'm so intrigued by your idea for this podcast and your hopes for it, your dreams for it, where you want to go with it. And within explaining that, I think you'll begin to tell us a little bit about yourself. So open up and just give us an understanding of why this, why this podcast. Okay. So I did record like a little six or seven minute video about this, but um, it was more of kind of like a promotional thing. I so the, the, excellent. Appreciate that. <laughs> um, that was like take number 12 of that video yeah. at shot at about three o'clock in the morning because that's yeah. how I roll. But that that's actually a good example of we were just talking about, you know, being a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. I'll get into it eventually. It being take 12 because I was trying to just do it off the cuff and make it natural. Yeah. Like I need to manuscript this thing. Natural takes practice. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Um, But yeah, the genesis behind this, I had been wanting to do a podcast for a long time and story and storytelling is just such an important part of life and marketing and everything else. And just the power of story in working with customers and, and telling about our company and about myself or whatever it might be. That was kind of the genesis behind find the story originally Mm -hmm. back in the day when I first bought the domain name and everything else was, um, could it be a consulting venture of helping brands come up with brand story, et cetera, kind of marketing thing. And I was just driving home, uh, several weeks ago and this idea hit me like people have stories Mm -hmm. and a lot of my favorite podcasts, I was in the middle of listening to one, um, uh, Dax Shepard's uh, Armchair Expert, um, can be explicit at times, <laughs> but um, if you're if you're feeling uh, like taking a listen, it's a very good one. Um, and this particular one was Tony Hale, the actor Tony yeah. Hale from mm-hmm. um, Arrested Development and such. Um, most of those interview style podcasts are celebrities and telling their stories. And it's fascinating to hear Tony Hale deal with crippling anxiety. Right. Or um, uh, I can't think of, there was a guy in SNL too that would literally walk off the set from a sketch and go into his office and lie down with a massive migraine and puke because wow. he was so overcome with anxiety. Yet these are the people that are you know entertaining us every day. Mm-hmm. And so hearing their stories, I thought, what about you and me? Mm-hmm. We have stories. We don't have a platform to tell these stories. And there's some really compelling, interesting people in the world. Right. Um, and so the idea hit just driving home one night. And so through the idea on Facebook that night was just like, hey, who would listen to this type of thing? And it has been kind of overwhelming, yeah. the response. And so 
like I said in the video, I kind of feel obligated to do this thing now. Yeah. So we'll yeah. see how it the goes. The ball is rolling. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Here we go. Yeah. You gotta keep <laughs> up with it. Okay. So in your conversation just now, you talked about being, being a perfectionist of and course. how that is going to play into this whole production of the podcast, <laughs> telling your story, all of that. So let's kind of go there for a second. Okay. Perfectionism, the whole idea of your personality, um, your willingness to have an idea and then just run with it before you really had all the pieces in place. That has to tie in with the Enneagram, which I oh, know you nice. love. So yes, let's I do. hear it. What is the your Enneagram. number? Give us a little info about that. I'm an Enneagram 4. Okay. Um, and a hard four. I'm, <laughs> All uh, the way. I'm a wing five. I right now am probably like a healthy four. I'm not into the one or two anywhere yet, but um, that's the joy of yeah. the complex Enneagram as it is. Um, but the perfectionist side of that, the fours live in their feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tend to be incredibly emotional. Mm-hmm. We could call uh, Sarah in and she could tell you all about that. Yeah. Um, But what I've really realized over the last several months is um, seeing how I compare myself to an idealized version of myself. Mm -hmm. I don't really compare myself to other people. There's a part of me that, of course, wants what other people have. Everybody has that. There's a little bit of that keeping up with the Joneses type of thing. But Mm -hmm. I have an idealized self in my mind. And that that idealized self is a world changer. It is somebody I have huge aspirations um, and so I want to make an impact on the world. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sure we'll get into this later, too, is um, considering the formats really mine. Some of the things I know that'll be coming up um, <laughs> there was uh, how that relates very well is actually um, a guy that from church who has been through several surgeries recently. And there was a surgery where he was. Uh, and this story was related to me. I, I wasn't talking to him, but they related to me because they were thinking of me when he said it. Okay. Um, that there was potentially wouldn't make it through the surgery. Oh, wow. And so they, the, the person that was talking to him was asking him, you know, how, how are you feeling about that? What is, what does that um, mean to you? And his statement was, I just want to be useful. Wow. And so the Enneagram four's biggest fear is also um, insignificance. Right. And so that scares me to death that I would be insignificant in anything that I do. And so that translates into, I swing the pendulum to the extremes. Yeah. And so the lack of significance turns into, I need, I need to be like an Elon Musk to like (laughs) somebody who truly changes the world. Um, but really as uh, the business consulting has, has come into play working in software development, agile, there's this dichotomy of in, uh, good is the enemy of great, perfection is the enemy of good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, those two opposing forces are in constant battle in my head of how do I agile my way through it's software development word. Um, mm-hmm. And so start creating value immediately and just get something going right. and let it be good enough. But then this podcast is the example I'm already to the point in my head, not in reality, that I have a full podcast network with advertisers and 100,000 listeners and all of these things Mm -hmm. that don't happen overnight. But I'm like a stats junkie. I just put the site live. I just launched like three days ago. Right. right? I mean, so I I check it every 10 minutes. Like, is is anybody else like that? Has anybody else listened? What's what's going on? Um, And not that. 
I'm going to get depressed if nobody is. Right. But it's just I, I want to make sure that I'm making an impact and having significance in the world. So, okay, yeah, the, wait, the Enneagram force. Really, how would you feel if you go along and there's not success pretty quickly? What would that do? That's a good question. Um, and I have to think about it a little bit. Um, I think in something like this, it would. I'm a very passionate person. Mm-hmm. And so there are certain things that just click mm-hmm. and I know are the right thing I should be doing. Yeah. I think this is one of those mm-hmm. that if something like this didn't become a success and not even just overnight success, but within some reasonable time frame, if it didn't become a success, I I would have a lot of anxiety about that yeah. because back to that significance thing mm-hmm. is um, no, people need to hear these stories. Like yeah. there's really important things happening in the world and yeah. you really, and especially in, and I said it in the video, in the teaser video is where our culture is right now. Yeah. Um, we need new voices. Mm-hmm. And I think that's more the inspiration of the uh, additional to the inspiration for the podcast in general too, mm-hmm. is we only hear, you know, a handful of voices, um, and it's the talking points, whether it's in politics, you're either Republican or Democrat and the other voices are there, but they're quieted. Right. They're kind of. Um, and same thing in, in sports or, or anywhere else. Back to your question is if this thing didn't have some sort of success behind it, mm-hmm. um, I would consider it somewhat of a failure. Mm-hmm. And that word we could dive into for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um I love one of the, one of the ladies that I work with. She that word's not even in her vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Um, she won't consider something a failure unless you don't learn something from it. Oh, and so I've great. tried to adopt yeah. that for myself. Mm-hmm. Is um, regret is another word. I don't I don't really have any regrets because mm-hmm. I feel like they've all made me who I am. Like all my failures and everything else. Um. We're getting into some deep stuff um, mm-hmm. that'll come out in some of the stories. Uh, so I don't know what failure would look like for this thing yeah. um, yet, because I don't really know how I'm measuring it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is something that we've talked a lot about in the past, too, from strategic planning for churches, for businesses, whatever it might be. I try to do that. Actually, I haven't done that for myself, mm-hmm. which is weird. That I consult weird. so much. I do it for things like the podcast. I yeah. do it. I would do it for church that I'm planting. I do it for a business that I'm starting, but for like my personal life, mm-hmm. um, as I coach others in their personal lives, mm-hmm. I ask them to do that, but I can't say that I ever have really yeah. thought about what does, what does success look, look like, like for me and my family and everything else. And so I don't know what I can't, I don't have a definition of success or failure for this thing yet, but it, it would probably hit me pretty hard just because I feel like the the potential mm-hmm. for the impact that these voices could create in the world mm-hmm. is uh, they just that's pretty powerful, and I think it needs to be out there. So it's the value that you see in it, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so you said um, different areas of life that you are involved in, different, mm-hmm. different, wide varieties of areas that <laughs> you you're think? involved in, yeah, and I see you as successful in so many of these areas, but 
just explain kind of where you are right now, where Lance is right now, as you have kind of added this on your plate, which is already <laughs> very full. So just kind of yeah. go through the list of what it is that you do, what, you know, a week looks like for Lance mm-hmm. in all of these different areas. And then I want to kind of go back, you know, to what brought you to this point. But okay. Go Good. with that. Yeah. So... <laughs> That's actually something you said something else there that's funny with the, the Enneagram four is um, that idealized self thing is the feelings of insignificance that creep in every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, we as fours are unable to see the success um, as others see it. Right. Because it doesn't live up to like if I were using my hands for video. Um, so there's like this idealized self, which is kind of the, the peak. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where I, I want to be. Kind of like then, the Mount Everest. Right. Yeah. Then somewhere below that is like where I think I am. Yeah. Be- somewhere well below that. No, like not well below that is where I really am. But, and then somewhere in the middle, there is like where others kind of see me mm-hmm. and see you. And so, um, as a four, so where I am now is incredibly, incredibly busy. Yeah. Um, and some of it self-inflicted. I 2019 was a season of no. Mm-hmm. I, I purged a lot of things. Oh, wow. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of that was really good and healthy. Some of it not my by my own design. But um, so right now where I am by day, I am a business innovation consultant at Worldwide Technology. Okay. Disclaimer, um, anything said on this podcast has <laughs> nothing to do with Worldwide. It does not reflect the views or opinions of <laughs> right, Worldwide right, Technology. Right. Um, uh and I have to say that mainly because my role there is mm-hmm. one that um, I work as a consultant on behalf of our executives in the strategic initiatives group. So there's right. a small group of it, us that um, carry out strategic initiatives on behalf of the executives. And so I work very closely with um, our executive team. And so some of the what some of those things look like is um, consulting with uh, teams on organizational health and leadership mm-hmm. Um and so I'm very, very passionate about uh, leadership in general um, and what it looks like to be a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, January is going to be incredibly busy. The beginning of February, we were hosting our uh, annual, at this point, biannual leadership conference where mm-hmm. we'll have 1,300 of our managers and leaders at oh. Worldwide come in. Um, I'm part of a very small group who are responsible for designing all the content for that conference. Mm-hmm. So it's a week long leadership conference. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is so a perfect time to launch a perfect podcast. time Why to not? launch a podcast <laughs> as well as a perfect time to also attending seminary. Yes. Um, and uh, to get a master's divin- divinity. That's hard to say. Masters of, of divinity, divinity. Yeah. In leadership. Okay. As we've talked about leadership. Um, and my goal really has been, uh, by the end of this year, I'd like to achieve the first part of that, which is a master's of theological studies okay. in church planting, mm-hmm. which leads to the other thing I'm doing, which is <laughs> planting a church, yeah. um, which interestingly small task. Yeah, um, isn't really uh, public yet, <laughs> but yeah. um, here we are. And so, Jordan, I hope it's OK. We're talking Here about this. 100,000 followers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we are also planting a church um, focused uh, on college students and a collegiate um uh, a collegiate church really um which is incredibly inspiring to think of a typical church environment um you have transients you have people that come in and out right. but you don't really have an end in sight for when 
that person is either going to move on from life or move on from the area or, or move on from the church or whatever it might be. So discipleship um, and and moving a person through their spiritual journey mm-hmm. doesn't really have obviously it has a sense of urgency, but it doesn't have the sense of urgency that I think we're excited about with a collegiate ministry yeah, in that you have a student for four years, maybe less, maybe more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so taking them from where, however they show up mm-hmm. to our passion for sending them back into the local church to serve, mm-hmm. um, and discipleship, discipling them in that way, um, is inspiring and terrifying all at the same yeah, time. Yeah. And so, our goal is uh, we'll be planting that sometime uh, fall of, of this year, 2020. Great. Um, and and so we're, let's see, what is it, by day, business innovation <laughs> consultant, uh, seminary student, planting a church, and then there's this podcast thing. Three o'clock and in the morning. Podcast. Somewhere in there, I have to be a husband and a dad and, huh. and all of those things too. So. Yeah. So how many kids? Uh, three kids. Um, Asher is 13. I'm going to get all the ages wrong. I'm such a terrible you person. Asher is 13. Faith is 10. She will soon be 11. Mm-hmm. And Audra is eight. Mm-hmm. Knock on wood. I hope I got those right. There you go. I think you so did. I was doing, did. doing math, job. but Good based job. on the years, I know they were born. Good so. job. All right. Well, <clears throat> not to intentionally plunge us into the deep mm-hmm. waters, but there's some deep waters. Yes. And as I'm listening to you talk about all of these things and, you know, your, your desire to achieve in each one of these roles and be successful and not only be successful, but to be seen as successful. I know that it's kind of tied in with that four and, and all mm-hmm. that that goes with the Enneagram, but I really think a lot of it probably has to do with how you're brought up and, you know, where you were in your family, what your childhood was like, um, some things that you have experienced over life and even recently this year and some difficulties that you've walked through. So just start anywhere and kind of talk about what are those defining moments that as you look back, you think maybe even play into this drive to be successful, but not only to be successful, I think the the super positive side of that is to find value in everything that you're doing and then to strive for that value to be its greatest. So where do you think that comes from based on um, where you've been? Yeah, I opted not to have the tissue box in here. Now yeah. I feel, I feel I it coming. Yeah, it, right? yeah, 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 I feel it coming. Yeah. Um, so I've always told my story in two parts. Okay. Um, and this, this is a new realization as I've reflected over just the last couple of weeks. Um, and it hit me at annual appraisal time at work. Actually, it mm-hmm. was kind of interesting as I reflected on 19 going into 20 at work, yeah. mm-hmm. this, this kind of bigger picture, bigger story, if you will, um, hit me. So the, the two parts of the story, as I've always told them are, um, really growing up through about 2001. So it would have been 23, 24, about that time, um, was born here in St. Louis mm-hmm. and, uh, my, mom and dad, um, Larry and Sherry, um, <laughs> and my sister Shelly, we, uh, I'm the youngest of, of the, the two there. Um, I'll get into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we spent about four years in Maryland Heights after I was born then went to Nashville for four years and have been back here in St. Louis since I was eight. Okay. Um, from eight to about 20 or so, lived just down the road here in Wildwood. It was, wasn't Wildwood at the time, but we are still west of St. Louis. Um, and it was 
pretty typical upbringing in some ways good in some ways bad my parents did divorce when i was 14. Oh, okay um, my dad worked a lot um there's a picture in my office of a space shuttle Mm-hmm. If I were to, and, and this is one of the things, if I were to talk about regrets, one of them would be not really paying more attention to kind of what my dad did. Mm-hmm. Because now that I look back and the things that I do know, he did some really amazing things. Yeah. So that space shuttle, he helped design the booster rockets on the sides. Um, wow. So on the back of that poster are signatures from the people he worked with and uh-huh. stuff. And yeah. so... He worked on classified projects. He was an aeronautical engineer. And mm-hmm. so he worked for um, various engineering companies, contracted uh, contracted with NASA and worked on some pretty amazing things mm-hmm. that I wish I knew more about. Yeah. So um, when you were young, did you even know? I did. What yeah. I mean, the, like I said, he traveled a lot. Um, he lived in Los, Los Angeles um, for quite a while. Wow. Um, before, after, during, I'm not really exactly sure the timing of that. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I do remember going out to visit him once. And ironically enough, some good friends of ours live in Palmdale, just north uh, of of Los Angeles, mm-hmm. which is where all of the aerospace companies have their top secret facilities and their hangars and their test uh, facilities and things like that. That's where he worked. It was West. in that hub of kind of yeah. aviation. My mom was a, a teacher. She quit teaching when I believe my sister was born. We'll get into some more regrets here in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, because as I tell these stories, my memories are really fuzzy in a lot of these things. Because yeah. as a young kid, you don't really pay attention. Yeah. Um, and so as that kind of typical childhood came about, um, went to college here in town, lived at home. Um, 2001 was kind of this pivotal moment between parts one and part two. Okay. And so grew up in church as, you know, came to faith around 11 or 12, was baptized. Um, it didn't really have the impact on me that you would, I was just a snotty nosed 11, 12 year old boy, mm-hmm. um, Middle which school. we, yeah. Yeah. Um, we have a couple of those um, between us. Yeah. Uh, and so the 2001 was kind of this pivotal moment where life was pretty easy up to that point, even through kind of parents divorce and everything yeah. else. Um, Graduating college, I took a break from school. I had one semester left. But you were still um, at home. I was still at home. Yeah. Um, and so I had one semester left, quit school because this was the middle of the dot com. I was a software engineer um, and it had a big paycheck dangled in front of me. And I'm like, okay, I can go do I that. School. Yeah. And um, ended up going back to finish school and had one class left that I needed to pass. Um, it was taught by a philosophy professor and it was something around along the lines of education and technology. Okay. And it was an online class mm-hmm. in 2000, 2000. Well, this is probably more like 2002. So I skipped a year in there, but, um, and I didn't read any of the materials. I was working full time. I didn't do anything for the class. And yeah. so we get to the end of it and he sends out the study guide for the final. And it's basically like one essay on a reflection on the book we were supposed to have read and then all the discussion that we were supposed to participate in oh, as a no. class online. I didn't do any of it. Yeah. Luckily, I'd had this professor before for a couple of classes. It was a small private school, Webster University mm-hmm. here in town. Yeah. So I sent him a note, Bruce. Um, hey, Bruce, how you doing? <laughs> um, sent him a note and said, just so you know, I'm being transparent here. I haven't done any of the work. What do you suggest I do? He's like, 
just do your best. See, see what yeah. you come up with. Okay. Realize he's a philosophy professor. So I rewrote the question because it's about oh. education and technology. Right. To say my experience with edu- education and technology. And I uh, got a B plus. Well, look at that. In a class I did nothing for. I don't know if that's. I hope my son is not listening right, to that's this. That's what I was going to say. I don't know if that's great wisdom not, to be sharing. It's or, not. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. he is absolutely a mini me. Yeah, um, and, yeah. and that is kind of how he approaches life in many ways, too. But yeah. anyway, back to 2001. Um, this pivotal moment for me. Life had been easy. And then 2001 um, ended a uh, long term relationship that I had been in, everybody thought we were going to get married. Mm -hmm. That was incredibly stressful for about a year. That was hard. I won't get into that. Um, And then um, my uncle passed away. My mom's brother passed away of complications due to alcoholism. Mm -hmm. He had been an alcoholic for many, many years. Um, And he was another one that I I was very close to. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. My mom had a heart attack in the middle of the year. Um, And so my parents had been divorced for seven years at that point. So here I am 23, 24 dealing with the doctors trying to figure out, you know, what her life is going to look like at Mm -hmm. at this point. Um, As a result of that, she didn't have health insurance at the time. She had a heart attack. So it was like $60,000 in medical bills or something. Mm -hmm. So she knew she needed to get a full-time teaching position. She was like a teacher's aide at this point. So she moved down near my sister in Southwest Missouri, um, took a teaching position there so she could have insurance and everything else. So she moved out on me, Instead which is completely you, yeah, backwards. You had the house. Yeah. And my plan was actually to buy the house from her. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but what ended up happening was my dad had a townhouse in Chesterfield here, also in West St. Louis, that um, we ended up trading. And so mm-hmm. he bought the house from my mom. Mm-hmm. Um for those ever considering divorce, let me repeat that. Yeah. My dad bought the, the house, house back yeah. for the second time. Yeah. Anyway, um, long story. Yeah. Uh, so, and then at the end of 2001, I got laid off from my job. No. Um, interestingly enough, these two probably aren't related. Mm-hmm. However, mm-hmm. I was working for, remember that relationship I ended? Yeah. I was working for her dad. You know, I'm thinking that might have been related. <laughs> may not be related, but um, that was a that was a time also, like that job was remotely for a company in uh, Philadelphia. Okay. I was here in St. Louis and I'm 21, I think, when I started that job. With the goal of opening a St. Louis office of this wow. software so these company. These are some big hits that you're taking. Yeah. By um, 23 or 23 at this time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so just kind of this ego and arrogance of of starting like starting a, an, a remote office yeah. of a company. I had no idea what I was doing. Right. Um, and it was at that point that I met Sarah as well. Okay. We haven't talked about her. Um, and... She will tell you she was not fond of me. I was not fond of she her. She's told me that before. She, she's what <laughs> we now? Talk, no, we talk. Oh, huh. Okay. Um, no, I'm sure she has because yeah, it's, yeah. it's a favorite story of ours because I was this arrogant, I was going to change the world guy. Yeah, I was going to do it, dreams. you know, all of these things. Um, and she was this uh, conservative, goody two-shoes kind of girl going to Missouri Baptist University yeah. and involved in campus crusade and this small church. And she graduated the class of 13 and yeah. from high school. And, um, 
we were really just polar opposites. Still are in many ways, but I think that's why we work so well together now. Um, and so the end of 2001, got laid off from my job, and it was that point where I just said, I've been coasting for so long. Right. I need to be an adult. Right. And uh, yesterday at, at church, as um, Mark Grossman uh, was our, our guest preacher yesterday, as Hi, Mark. He, he used, hey Mark, he used the phrase angry praying. Yes. There was a lot of angry that praying around yeah. that time. Yeah. Um, and I, that was a mood. I could feel that yeah. in him. Um, I could relate. So 2001 was a lot of angry praying. And I just said, um, God, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I, I have no idea. Like I thought I had this all figured out, but clearly I don't. Cause this year, this year has 2001 had been not a two by four over the head. It was probably more like, you know, an eight by eight yeah. beam of some kind. Um, and from that point, 2002 became um, kind of a restoration year for me of just mm-hmm. getting back into the word, spending more time with God. Um, interestingly, another pivotal moment in there related to the church thing is reflecting. This was year late, years later that I figured this out around that time, too, was mm-hmm. um, when I graduated high school was when I first felt like this call to ministry. So I talk about going to seminary now. Oh, wow. Um, mm-hmm. After a 20 year career. Um. I first felt this call into ministry and thought, as every high school student, I need to be a youth, youth pastor and yeah, go into youth ministry yeah. and all these things. And so I stuck around, led worship for our youth group and stuff as I was here locally for college. The girl that I was dating was in the youth group. And so there she were... She was everywhere. Um, there, there were obviously some challenges with that that I didn't see. Right. I, we didn't see. Right. Um, and so uh, some of the adult leaders, actual adults... Um, came to me and suggested that, you know, it probably wasn't a good idea to be doing that. Right. And I took it very personally. And, and I think many people share this perspective. So this is, this is a good preaching moment too, is the reflection for me is I re I had made those people mm-hmm. church and Jesus and God yeah. was the leaders that I hadn't kind of made him personal to me. Right. Um, so when they told me they didn't want me around, I heard, God telling me he didn't want me around kind of thing. Like it was this weird connection in my yeah, head. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, fine. I'll, I've got this career going. I'm going to go bury myself in my work and stuff. Yeah. Um, and so 2002 was kind of this time of, nope, uh, you, this is going to be a personal kind of thing. We're going to, we, he dug, a, dug at my heart a, a lot. And middle of 2002 went to a, as a, counselor for a youth camp. Interestingly enough, it, it ended up working out that way. Sarah and I decided we were going to um, take the summer, kind of take a break because we had kind of been experimenting with this. Should we date? Should yeah. we not date? We, like I said, we really didn't like each other, but there was this, this kind of weird we tension. Kind of like yeah, we were friends. And, yeah. And so we took the summer off and I go to this camp. She goes uh, on a mission trip. She comes back ready to tell me like, yeah, I just need to do my own thing. Yeah. I came back. I'm going to marry you. That was literally my <laughs> totally words to her opposite. was yeah. I'm going to marry you. Um, so then I was right. And we got married a year yeah. later in 2003. That began this cycle mm-hmm. that has been to date a getting faster. Okay. It stayed about a three year cycle for a while. 2001, 2002, 2003. Immediately after getting married, um, she was diagnosed with a disease that meant we might not have kids. Right. We now have three amazing kids. So that uh, that worked out for us. Yeah. Um, six months later in February, my dad passed away. Yeah. Um, so th- 
this begins kind of the bigger arc of arc of the story. And so we never got a honeymoon period as a couple, uh, yeah. um, all of these things. And then in 2006, Astra was born. Mm-hmm. So three years and yeah. it just, it kept going that way. Yeah. And so over that second part, part two of the story, um, lots of, there's been job loss and success and starting my own company and, mm-hmm. and really great jobs. I've been at worldwide 10 years now. Never thought I would spend 10 years at one place. Um, serving in church and just a lot of really great things have happened over that time. And I'm going to get the years wrong on this too, but I think it was about 2011. Um, my mom had a stroke. I was mm-hmm. sitting at work my sister called and said, um, you need to get down here right away. They found mom unconscious in her car in the oh. parking lot at school. Um, had no idea what was happening. And so hopped in the car and drove down there later found out she had a stroke. This connects to something more recently too, as a consultant, one of the companies I worked with, um, was building is building has a telestroke program which is a um, remote video based uh, stroke assessment so that they can do the assessment and determine whether you need the tpa drugs um, before you ever even get to the hospital so that as soon as you get to because with a stroke there's a golden hour Mm -hmm. if you're familiar yeah and so you have to administer the tpa or any sort of drug within the first hour Nobody had any clue how long she'd been in her car, unconscious, my mom. Um, they tried to life flight her. The weather was bad. They couldn't, they had to land the helicopter, put her in an ambulance. Ambulance, drove in an ambulance from Washburn, Missouri to Springfield, which is about an hour, 45 minute drive. Oh, so. Um, and then do a stroke assessment to figure out she was having so a stroke. way beyond that window. And so that left her um, completely paralyzed on the left side of her body. Okay. Um, she had sworn to us that um, because of my grandparents and such, um, she would never go into a nursing home. We put her in a nursing home. Yeah. Um, and because there was just, there was nothing we could Can't do for her. her. Yeah. Um, and she lived about another 18 months before passing away um, wow. based on obviously complications from a stroke. Um, and how old was she? Uh, 66 to nine. question mark, something like that. So my mom was 66 when she passed away. My dad was 58. Mm-hmm. My uncle was 49 uh-huh. um, when he died of uh, complications, alcoholism. My grandparents, um, varying ages and things like that. I've always used the line that uh, males in my family haven't made it to 60. It's not mm-hmm. entirely true. Yeah. Um, my grand, my, both my grandfathers um, lived longer than that, but um, health wise. Um, and before my mom passed away, um, my sister was diagnosed with ovarian cancer mm-hmm. at 35. 35. She was diagnosed. Um, she was at this mm-hmm. point, um, four, three and a half years older than I. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were never really close when I was a freshman in high school. She was a freshman in college. Yeah. Um, she was the overachiever. Mm-hmm. She worked her butt off at everything she did. She mm-hmm. got a master's in social work from Washington University um, and was a four point plus student in high school. Um, her college experience at Southwest Baptist University. Um, she was actually paid to go to school. Her scholarships were more than she needed um, <laughs> just crazy. because of yeah. her. You know, she's a stubborn individual. Um, she passed on October 10th of this year. Yeah leaving me all alone yeah and i say it that way because that's the way i reconcile it in my head i know it's not that because i'm not alone i but have that's how you feel sarah and the kids um yeah. but to be at 42 the last surviving member of my family yeah 
if anywhere, obviously I have cousins and things like that, that yeah. we're, we I'm close to. Yeah. Um, but it's not like we get together, you know, mm-hmm. once a month or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we rarely see each other, but, um, the, that journey and this year and the reflection of part two really begins. Um, I, I think what I realized is, is closure on part two of the story. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that pain from 2001 to mm-hmm. 2019, those 18 years, um, going through that, there was a ton of learning. Mm-hmm. And I think this year has been so reflective for me mm-hmm. that now looking ahead, um, I have no idea what part three looks like, yeah. but I feel like it's the beginning of a part three Yeah, that it's up to me, my family now, um, that there's a bit of closure on 10 years of disease for my sister. Um, we had an interesting relationship too. And so even her passing was kind of an emotional journey for me because we, she and I were polar opposites. She's very high, strong and stubborn. I'm more laid back and just kind of go with the flow in many ways. Um, funny story about her too was, uh, at her services, Mm -hmm. um, the pastor, uh, service, the celebration of life service. And he, uh, two things he said in eulogizing her was one, um, Shelly was very determined Yeah, and he really accented that word looking at my Mm brother-in-law. Um, and my brother-in-law Gammon looked up at him and said, you can say stubborn. (laughs) Um, and then later on is, is, he was kind of reflecting on the the services themselves. The pastor said, we're just following her instructions. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're doing. And that was just kind of her. And she yeah. was, she was very driven and very determined um, to get what she thought was right. Yeah. Um, and have a lot of respect for her for that. Had a lot of respect, have a lot of respect for her. Um, and so what that means for me is the the closure of that period of that family mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, it's weird to say that it's i don't so really know what that means yeah. yeah um to now i don't know that i'm still kind of figuring it out i don't yeah. know that it frees me up for anything but there's yeah. there's something that is is kind of happening in this period that it's like moving on from that three-year cycle hopefully (laughs) to now let's turn that energy towards um not being distracted by the pain because i think that's how that's how i've dealt with a lot of it um uh we were just talking um this christmas season um has been a series of distractions for me we're sitting in my new office that uh, you know i spent a lot of late nights working on and so the projects um have been a good distraction for that so yeah what what I've learned from day one to now and the struggles and the pain, but a lot of successes in that too, is the the reflection and how important it is to kind of look back and think through. Um, unfortunately, but fortunately, um, the life verse for our family has become um, uh, James 1, 2, which is consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Um, for those trials make you steadfast and perfect mm-hmm. in your faith. Um, 
that that has been the hope the hope that I need in those mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. Never share that verse with somebody going through a struggle because oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. they don't want to hear it. Right. It's <laughs> not the one. Um, and, and actually, yeah. when I would tell myself that I don't want to hear it for myself. Sure. Um, but as you make it through, as you mm-hmm. get through kind of grieving and stuff, being able to look back is recognizing and learning. Oh, that thing connected to that thing connected to that thing. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of made me who I am today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I, what I love about that story and the overall uh, overarching kind of theme in it all Mm -hmm. that three-year cycle for me and again i i said this podcast isn't a faith-based thing but it's who i am and so my story is um that three-year cycle is a is a gospel kind of story Mm -hmm. of there's fall there's reconciliation and redemption uh, throughout yeah right and so um through my own ignorance and and stupidity in many ways something happens mm-hmm. um and sometimes it's out of my control like my parents passing away or, or whatever that might be to this period of restoring kind of restoring that and that's kind of the reminder i need from god of mm-hmm. hey i'm still here mm-hmm. um pursue him and then there's some sort of redemption at, at the end of the story whether it's getting married or or mm-hmm. children or whatever it might be um so it's this constant reminder to me mm-hmm. that God's there, God's good, God has a plan and a story yeah. um, that when you look at scripture, and I think this goes back to story too, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. is the creativity of God in from Genesis 1 to Revelation is um, he has a vision in mind, he has a plan. Right. Um, we're still in the middle of that story mm-hmm. um, because we haven't reached the end of it yet. Um and that means it's messy. That yeah. means we're we're still figuring stuff out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these individual stories throughout scripture that connect to a bigger picture of um, who God is, who Jesus is, and and um, God's creation and us screwing it up in the fall and God mm-hmm. sending his son and, and all of those things. Um, my, my personal stories have added up to be a just a constant reminder of that for me, which yeah. I think I need. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, well, and I think in every story, even if it is painful and difficult, there is some beauty that comes from that. And mm. I love what it says in Ecclesiastes. He makes everything beautiful in its time, in his time. And so as you look back over your family and what you went through with them, what, what is the beautiful thing that you see that came from all of that? You've kind of said it a little bit, but if you, yeah, just yeah, had yeah. To, if you had to narrow it down, one word, one phrase, what is the beauty that has come from all of that? That kind of part one and part two. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is outside of myself. It's <clears throat> the people that they all impacted. Yeah. Um, and so we were just at lunch or dinner or something the other day. Um, and I saw this lady sitting in a booth uh, just catty corner from us. Mm-hmm. And she looked really familiar. I leaned over to Sarah and I said, I think she taught with my mom at Green Pines Elementary when my mom was oh, a teacher's yeah. aide. Yeah. And so this lady, um, she was sitting there by herself, really interacting with <clears throat> the wait staff there. Um, she mentioned to us, she said, oh, you have beautiful children. Do you have a pick? Because we were, um, why were we all dressed up with it? Christmas know, it was may no. have been Christmas. No, because we went to I don't know what it was. It doesn't matter what it was. Yeah. Anyway, um, it Maybe may you're just dressy people. We, yeah, we were just well, it, the girls love to, to dress up. So 
um, she commented on the girls' dresses and everything. And so finally, Sarah just leaned over and was like, you need to say something to her. So I asked her. Sure enough, it was a, a kindergarten teacher <coughs> that taught with my mom at Green Pines Elementary. Yeah. And she could not stop saying wonderful things about my mom. Oh. And that's pr- everybody I run into that knew my mom. Yeah. Um, that would have known my dad even, you know, now 16 years after he passed, you can see, you can see the impact yeah. that it had on somebody. Yeah. And the same thing for my sister is even in the humor and the joking about her stubbornness and, mm-hmm. and all of that, um, that I, I'm sure there were people she rubbed the wrong way through that. Yeah. Um, but she loved and she loved well. And people, there are a lot of people that only knew her, her girls, my nieces. Yeah. Really only knew her sick. As she struggled. Yeah. Um, and so her faith story during that and the way that she would give God the glory in things um, and never publicly mm-hmm. um, lamented about her sickness. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think that's the first thing that comes to mind of the beauty is the impact they had on the world, which I think is why I'm still trying to find mine. Yeah. And I know I've had the, and I say that, but again, back to that Enneagram four mm-hmm. is like what I want and what I expect is so much bigger than I think what I um, even have. And and there's a piece of me that still kind of needs to reflect and realize that there have been some really, really cool, successful things that have come out of the things I've been a part of. And yeah. I've done I've had some really, really cool experiences. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even outside of what I'm doing now, the opportunity to. um serve as volunteer technical director at a church and and there isn't a role at a church that I haven't filled in mm-hmm. children's ministry or youth ministry or technical ministries or mm-hmm. as a deacon or as a, um, on our leadership team and those types of things. Um, I did enough coursework in school to have a minor in audio production. So I spent time in studio. I spent time yeah. producing concerts and um, worked with, uh, had the opportunity to work at with shows with like, the roots who yeah. are now Jimmy yeah. Fallon's house band. And yeah. so there've been some really, really cool experiences we in life. Even talked um, about your acting career. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. And then there's, a, there's another part of that too. Um, and so I think the, the beauty is that is the impact that yeah. each of them individually has had on the world. Um, and even if I were to go back to my grandparents, um, my dad grew up poor. My mom grew up um, wealthy, relatively wealthy for mm-hmm. the time we were, comfortably upper middle class probably as, as a family. Um, my grandfather was actually a war hero. He flew B-17 bombers and, uh-huh. um, many stories written about him and, um, the awards and things that he won. Um, and then, uh, he was the insurance agent for the small town they lived in. So they lived on the big house on the top of the hill yeah, as you pull into town. Him. Right. Yeah. Um, and so just the impact and the legacy, mm-hmm. I guess that, mm-hmm they all would have left mm-hmm. um, and have left is uh, I was reminded as I was putting books on those shelves and I'm looking mm-hmm. for it, um, which I were on a podcast. I don't know why I'm doing that, but um, <laughs> there's a book over there that's outlive your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, the point of that is w- what, what are people going to say? What is your life going to be after your life is over? Right. Yeah. Um, and so how do you outlive it? How do you outlive the life you have here on earth? Right. Um, and so that's the legacy you live in your kids, you, you leave in the people that you, you touch. And so 
that's been really comforting mm-hmm. to see and to hear people share. And then I think as I look just at myself is there's a part of each of them, especially my parents, obviously that's the way genetics works. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the things that I learned from my parents and things, things that I learned from my sister of um, being able to apply those, um, like I said, my parents divorced when I was 14. Mm-hmm. A lot of things I learned about how not to be in a relationship. Right. Um, I would say I never really had a strong role model mm-hmm. um, growing up in either one of them. There was, there was a lot of resentment in my mom after divorce. Um, mm-hmm. There was a lot of anger there in her and it showed up a lot. Yeah. Um, she was a champion of the guilt trip. Mm-hmm. And so it was <laughs> like, there are a lot of things that I see, you know, you, we always say like, that first time you, the words come out of your mouth, they're like, did my dad say that? Or, and, um, I, I see that a lot and then try to, is it was, was that a good part of that that came out or was that a not so good part? And then what do I do to change it, to have a better experience for for my kids? Um, by no means perfect. Yeah. It'd be fun to get them in here and have them tell some stories too. But yeah. anyway, probably no, it wouldn't be fun. That Isn't wouldn't be good. Great that none of us are perfect. <laughs> you know, we don't have to worry about that. But so it sounds like just growing up that you've had the good, you've had the bad, you had a lot of bad, you know, that take the people, good, you take the bad. And there you have the facts now of life. Facts we know of life. You are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. No, it's just that, you know, you've had a lot of bad things happen mm-hmm. in your life, but as you look at them and think about them and think about, you know, that big word, the sovereignty of God. Yeah, right. You know, God kind of weaving all of that into your story and then into who you are today. I can kind of see, yeah, that would give you some drive. It would give you that desire to accomplish. And maybe even in the back of your mind, having that fear of all the men in my family are gone by 60. Probably more of a fear for Sarah than it is for me, but yes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) well, just thinking, you know, I've got to accomplish these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a a guy. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But I I like hearing that word legacy come out Mm -hmm. because you carry that. You know, you're the one that has the freedom now and the opportunity (laughs) to carry that legacy and to really see that play out in your family and in your kids. So project there 10 years. Where where do you want to be? Thank you, Stephanie, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to pry a little into my background and find out why I am the way that I am. Stay tuned to a future episode for part two. But in the meantime, we have a few much more interesting stories to find. Tune in next week as we hear from my friend and colleague, the Keeper of Calm, David Schenberg. He's a Jewish son, brother, husband, and father seeking to help everyone be 1% better today than they were yesterday. So thanks for listening, and thank you to M.F. Bolton for the soundtrack to find the story. I'm your host, Lance Leonard, and I'll see you next week.